scene is seared into my memory. It was the fall of 1972, and the stakes were high. It was a neighborhood pickup football game. Now, all the kids in the neighborhood came out to play, and you know what kids do when it's time to, to play a game. You gotta pick captains, and then the captains gotta pick teams. My brother was picked as one of the captains, so my hopes were high. I was like, yes, I'm gonna be on a good team. My brother's the captain. So the process began, and if you look at this picture, you can kind of relate. Every kid is expectantly waiting. Is he gonna call my name? Is he gonna call my name? Just in, so that you know the full picture, I was the youngest kid out there. I was the smallest kid out there. In fact, if you look at the second from the left, that was probably me, right? The little kid out there. So did I get picked first? No, I wasn't expecting that. But I kept waiting. And as, as people were standing around and my brother kept calling other people's names, he yeah, goes, goes back and forth and back and forth. And I kept trying to edge my way out so that if he could see me, he would call my name. And he didn't call my name. I said, what's up, dude? He called my other brother's name, in fairness. My other brother is older, he was bigger, he was faster, he was all the things that you need in a football team. So I kept standing there and it came down to the last two, me and some other kid. It was my brother's turn to pick. Did he pick me? No. No, he didn't pick me. My own brother did not pick me. What's the word for that? He picked me, uh, what's the word? Last. Right? He picked me last. The, the, the other captain picked me last. It got even worse. So I was a little bit embarrassed, but I was also very determined. I have never played a harder football game in my life because I wanted to prove him wrong. Ended up getting injured and had to sit out about three quarters of the way through. But that's another story for another time. Because when you're that size, you can't play as hard as you want to with guys who are twice as big as you. It just doesn't work that way, right? So that was my first experience seared into my memory about what is it that people are looking for when it comes to picking a team. Now, maybe you've been in a similar situation. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe some of you have experienced being picked last. Or, or maybe if you haven't been picked last, at least you haven't been picked first. I would say it's a pretty small percentage of the population that says, yeah, I was picked first. Now see, that's a whole different feeling. Picked last is a miserable feeling. Picked first is like, yeah. And then there's the rest of us, kind of picked in the middle. Maybe you have experienced this. Maybe you, you got picked somewhere not first on a project. Maybe you got picked not first uh, for friends that were going on a shopping trip or a vacation. Maybe you didn't get invited first to that party. You know that sting, that, that lack feeling that comes when you're not picked first, perhaps. But here's the question I have for us today. What are you willing to do to be picked first? How far are you willing to go to be picked first? That's a question that we're going to answer today. And I bet you can't guess who's going to be picking at the end of the day. I was waiting for the response. All right. So it's Jesus is going to be picking us first. But to do that, we're going to go to a story of someone that society picked last. We're going to be reading out of John chapter 4. Anybody recognize this person from Scripture? No, you weren't there, of course. <laughs> this is the woman at the well. Not only that, the Samaritan woman at the well. To set the stage, 
We're going to be reading out of John chapter 4, verses 21 through 26. Now, to set the stage here, you have to understand a couple things. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. He has to go through Samaria, if you read just before this. And you're thinking, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, if you don't understand the animosity that occurred between Jews and Samaritans, do a little research of that or attend one of the disciple Bible studies with me, and you'll see that these people really don't like each other. In fact, it, pilgrims would go all the way around Samaria to get down to Jerusalem. They did not want to go through it, but Jesus wasn't having that. He was taking a shortcut. He had places to go, things to do, people to see, so they went right through Samaria. So as they come to this well, he and his disciples, his disciples disciple, we need something to eat, so they depart, leave Jesus sitting there at the well, and who comes in the middle of the day but this Samaritan woman? Now, understanding that times are different, but if you're a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, you do not talk to women by yourself. And unless you fall, a Samaritan woman? you got to be kidding me. That's like a twofer. But Jesus starts to talk to this woman. He begins to tell her her whole life story. He begins to relate what it is to really worship God. She tries to distract the conversation by talking about how the two cultures worship differently. But listen to what Jesus says to her as we begin reading in verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. These are the words of God for the people of God. For these words, we are grateful. Did you catch who Jesus picks first? Who Jesus not only picks, but seeks out. He seeks out the true worshiper. The, reading through this, there's, he, he points out that it's not about where you worship. It's not about the location you worship. It's more about the location of your heart when you worship. She's arguing for Mount Gerizim. He's saying that, yeah, we, we worship in Jerusalem, but you know there's a time that's coming and has now come. That doesn't matter anymore. What matters is that you worship in spirit and in truth. So then it makes sense to me that we would try to figure out what is what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Because it's the true worshiper that God seeks. How do I know this? Jesus himself says that. I'm not making this up. Read the text. Jesus is saying God seeks the true worshiper. In other words, if you want to be picked first, be a true worshiper. God will seek you out. Usually we do that the other way. We seek God. God is going to be looking you, the true worshiper. What does that look like? Again, the location is not important, but the, the short story is, if you're a Samaritan, you don't want your people going to some enemy territory, i.e. Jerusalem, so that they can worship. You want your own place so they can stay in your country, and that's what Mount Gerizim was to them. 
And it has significance in the Bible. Again, if you go back and look at the history, some great things happened on that mountain. But they didn't want their people going to enemy territory to worship God, because God at that time was kind of located in the temple. That's where you found God. So, Jew worship looked a little different in those days. And Jesus is saying a time is coming and has now come that all of this changes. The problem is when you focus so much on where you worship or the way that you worship or the things that you do in worship, you kind of forget the heart of things. So Jesus quotes, uh, I was supposed to put that up when I read that to you, but you know what I mean. Uh, Jesus quotes Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, because this is what Isaiah was saying about the sacrificial system that the Jews had. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they're going through all the right motions. They're saying all the right things, but where is their heart? The location of the heart in worship is one of the keys to true worship. We can get into that habit of going through the motions. Now, I'm not saying that repetitive prayer is bad. I'm not saying that liturgy is bad. What I'm saying is if we're going through rote, if, if you remember those toys where you... You dial the dial, and then you pull the cord, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it says the thing. Okay, just like my old guy card. They, they got digital stuff that does that now, right? But there used to be the toys, and you did that. It, it just, it's rude. It's not anything that we're thinking about. It's not something that's processing through our heart. We're just saying or singing. That's one of the things I appreciate about our worship band, is that it's not just singing. It's engaging. It's encouraging us to think about what it is that we're singing. We're singing with heart, not just head. That's one step towards true worship in spirit and in truth. So when we come to the difference between spirit and truth, worshiping in spirit, if you, if you worship only in spirit but not truth, this is some of the, the, the ways you can tell if you're doing this. It might seem shallow to you. Now think of that, that parable where we talk about the, the seeds being sown and there's one seed that sprouts up immediately, receives the word with joy, but what happens when the sun comes out? It withers. It doesn't even have a chance to produce fruit. Because it sprang up with joy, but had no roots. And when that sun comes out, there's nothing there. So sometimes spirit only can lead to shallow worship. It can also be emotion-based. Are emotions bad? Depends. Right? If, if we let them run away with us, if we let them guide us solely, then yes. But emotions can provide fuel. We'll talk about that in a second. One of the, the uh, articles I read in preparation for this said, it can be like a high that will pass. So if you are feeling like, I can't, I got to get back to church because I got to refill so that I can worship, you might be a, 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 a spirit worshiper. I just sound like Jess Box already there. You might be a spirit worshiper. If you'd have to go get your fix, right? All right, so truth on the other side of things. If you worship only in truth but not in spirit, look at what happens. It can be very dry. It can be passionless. Have you ever been a part of dry, passionless worship? I hope not at words here. But it happens. I hear it's possible. And then this one becomes joyless legalism. Does that sound like anybody we know? Pharisees. Right? These guys are experts at it. They had the letter of the law down, but the heart, the intent of the law, is what they were missing. So they could quote chapter or verse, they could tie their spices, they could count their steps on Sunday. But 
Where is their heart? Where is the spirit and the truth? Now, you might be, I feel like, are you team spirit or are you team uh, truth? Are we going to have to pick one? No. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus gives us the formula. He says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. It's not either or. Pick one. It's both. And when we do both correctly, great, great things can happen. One of the common arguments that's still going on today with biblical scholars is they say, okay, well, he says worship in the spirit. Does that mean our heart, our soul, or does that mean the Holy Spirit? What do you all think? You all know me too well, right? Yeah, why does that have to be either or? Yeah, I can worship in my heart. And yes, I can worship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that, remember when, when Jesus in John 14 says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send my Spirit. Do you remember what the Spirit does for us? It reminds us of everything that Jesus told us. It guides us. It, it, it advocates for us. So can that be a part of my worship? Man, I hope so. Because I want to be reminded of everything that Jesus said. I want to have an advocate for me. And in the process of that, I want to feel that in my heart, not just know that in my head. See, it's, it's an interesting conundrum, but when Jesus puts these two things together, the, the Spirit and the truth, you have to understand that the Spirit is like a renewable source of energy. Right? If you've ever seen spiritless worship, it's just nothing to inspire you. You walk out of there going, oh, there's an hour of my life I can't get back. There's no change. There's no dynamism. There's no energy in that. There's no real life change, I would argue, until your heart is touched. I don't know that you really engage with Jesus. Look at the way Jesus says this. He, he says to the woman, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. What does he mean by that? A time is coming and has now come. Jesus came because it's super hard to live the commandments with love. And we've proven that, right? Look at the Pharisees. They could live the commandments, but they kind of lost the love part. It took Jesus assuming a human form and coming down and showing us how to live that love. So as you read, how do you develop this, this spirit aspect? As you read, I would encourage you to read about the life of Jesus. I would encourage you to experience his emotions. I would ex experience the culture around him, everything that he went through. His hunger, his thirst, his pain, his abandonment, his betrayal, his salvation, his risenness. Encourage you to experience the full emotions of everything that he did, and you'll get a glimpse into your heart being touched. It's not just words on a page. But I would also encourage you to maintain the truth, because while the Spirit may give us energy, it's the truth that grounds us. It's the truth that will be there when that dark night of the soul happens. It's the truth that when you can't hear God, you can still trust that he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And he will be there. Always. To the end of the age. That's what truth does. Now, if you've been trying to follow along with this, I understand it can be kind of hard. So I brought an illustration. This is worshiping in spirit and truth. How so? The Spirit is that renewable source of energy. It's no irony with this picture that both in Hebrew, ruach, and in Greek, pneuma, Spirit can be equated to breath or wind. 
So the wind beneath the kite is the thing that causes the kite to rise. It causes the kite to soar. Uh, there's a Bible verse, maybe you've heard of it, that will mount up with wings like eagles and so not tired anymore. Those that, what? Wait upon the Lord. So the Spirit causes us to rise. It's that renewable source of energy, much like the wind. But here's the thing. If there's no anchor to that, what happens to the kite? It's blown about by every wave of new teaching and doctrine. Does that sound familiar? It's just willy-nilly out there. You don't know where it's going to land. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know if it's going to withstand the stress. It's just going to end up somewhere, wherever the wind blows. So what is it that anchors it? Truth. Truth is the anchor. Now, if you only have truth, but you have no wind, what fun is that as a kite flyer? That's like the most boring thing ever. I'd rather watch paint dry or hair grow or hair get stuck and paint is drying. I, I would rather do anything else than stand there with no wind and with a kite, right? That is joyless worship right there. So here's the combination we're looking for. You need the anchor to hold firm and you need the energy of the spirit to rise high. And when those two things come together now, we're talking true worshipers. And it's not just that we're talking true worshipers. We have become the people that God will seek when we seek his face and we worship in spirit and truth, God seeks us out. We don't have to elbow our way to the front of the crowd. Hey, God, here I am. Pick me. I can almost hear him saying back then, I picked you a long time ago. Don't you understand that? I sent my son to die for you. I picked you when you were born. I, I knit you in your mother's womb this Mother's Day, that's an appropriate reference. I knew you. I know you. I picked you. What a wonderful reassurance that we have in all that. So here's, here's the thing. I would encourage you as you go forward to practice this worshiping in the Spirit. Practice this development of experiencing the fullness of who Jesus is. Because it's really hard to have a relationship with stone. The first relationship with stone is the stone on the tablets. If you're trying to live by the Ten Commandments and those alone, that's a rough relationship. You know what else is hard? Is to live with a heart of stone. If you're trying to love with a heart of stone, a heart that has been so hardened by this world, or hardened by betrayal, hardened because you just don't want to believe, whatever the reason, substitute that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And watch what Jesus now, if you're worried about how do I worship in truth, I would encourage you to look into the Word. This is the, the, the number one place where you're going to find truth. And you might not like what you see here, but that doesn't change the fact that it's truth. You might not like what you see here, but it doesn't change the fact that this is our anchor. This is what grounds us. This is what keeps us from being blown willy-nilly and landing in some place that we never intended to be. This is God's truth. I would encourage you to adopt the approach of the Bereans. If you look in Acts 17, verse 11, the Bereans were a community, and, and it's described this way. So the Bereans tested everything that Paul said with Scripture. And then the second part of that is, and many came to believe. Do you notice what they didn't say? Many came to believe, and then they tested Scripture. No, 
They took what Paul said and they ran it through the lens of what they knew in Scripture, God's truth. And when they recognized that these things are lining up, then they believed. And they worshiped in spirit and in truth. What a beautiful combination. So, I gotta tell you, back in the day, the fall of 1972, that memory that is etched in my mind, that was a hard fight game. I, I was hurt, I was embarrassed, but you know, at the end of the day, I had to admit my brother was right, because he picked what was the winning team. In fact, they were undefeated for the rest of the pickup season, <laughs> such as it were. So I understood why I didn't get picked first. But here's another vision I want to share with you that I hope is etched in our memories in the fall of, let's say, 2022. It hasn't happened yet. But here's the picture. Picture God and his son Jesus looking down on this world and going, you know, that is not what I intended. There's so much division. There's so much strife. There's so much hatred. There's so much separation. I want the world to be one, because if they're one, that's how they'll know that they're my disciples. What do you think, Jesus? Who should we pick? And the teams begin to line up, and, and my prayer is that as Jesus looks out, he sees a people called Word Serve. And as he looks out, he sees true worshipers. Worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And my prayer Word Serve that he picks us. My question for you today, true worshipers, will he pick you? Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the one who came down and showed us how to live this law in love. Thank you for the fullness that you give us with the Holy Spirit that reminds us of all the things that Jesus says, the one that guides us, the one that points us in the right direction. Thank you for truth. Even though sometimes we don't agree with it, we don't understand it, nonetheless, it is an anchor that holds us, an anchor that allows us to soar above the highest of heights, to see with your perspective the way the world really works. God, my prayer is that as we begin to learn what a true worshiper is, you would help us to develop the worship in spirit and the worship in truth together in combination so that everything we do is a reflection of who you meant us to be. And God, as we soar high, help us to understand that that's not of our own doing. That's you. As we are anchored and blown by your spirit, we will rise up. People will begin to notice. People will begin to look and wonder, what is it that's different here? And God, as they begin to ask us those questions, I pray that you would open us to the conversations where we can explain the one who made it so one who made us all, the one who picked us first. God, I pray this in Jesus' name.